Well, good afternoon, everyone. Nice to have all here today as we enjoy another Sunday. Let's take our Bibles and uh, actually, before we go where we're going to go, I was, uh, as you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've been in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 talking about putting on the whole armor of God, speaking of spiritual warfare, talking about getting ready, being prepared for war. And uh, I don't know, it was kind of getting serious about, I guess, getting going on the study last night. And you know how you, maybe you don't know, but you kind of study and it's like, man, that seems a million miles away. And I'm looking, tomorrow's coming. (laughs) And today came and I was studying. It seemed like three million miles away. It's today. <laughs> and uh, it was actually after lunch a little bit. I was getting very nervous. And it seemed like I was drawn to another passage of Scripture. And I hope it makes sense to you because it was interesting, I thought anyway, that we really can't put on the whole armor of God until we've taken some stuff off. Let's go to Romans chapter 13 today. Romans chapter 13. And we're going to start reading in verse 11. Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 11. And once again, this is a a letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. And he always wanted to get your mind right, get your head straight, be thinking right so that you can live right. And this again would be the actions that he would unfold, the rubber meeting the road, if you will, toward the end of this letter. And I think it's very insightful, actually, to where we're even working in Ephesians chapter 6. Romans now, chapter 13, will begin reading at verse 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. May God add a special blessing in reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, it is good to be in this place, gathered together to worship your name. We've sung songs in honor of you, giving glory to you the last song that we just sung. Father, you are worthy of our praise. Thank you for giving us your word, truth, particularly in the day in which we find ourselves living a society that continues to go further and further away from truth. Father, thank you for the words that we've even read now, and we would ask that you would take us where you want us to be, particularly our minds, our hearts, our wills, that you would form them and put within us more truth. Allow us to see you even better than we did even yesterday relationally. We would be closer to you, Father, now as a result of studying your word. We would ask that the Holy Spirit today would be our sole and exclusive teacher. We're excited for these moments because you've promised to be here amongst us. We lift up your name and honor and glory, particularly Jesus Christ who won the victory over the penalty of sin, the power of sin, And one day the presence of sin because of his sacrificial death, burial and resurrection, which proved, Father, that you were good with it. And now, Father, these moments we give back to you, knowing that you will give us encouragement, wisdom, and strength as we study the word. Again, leaning upon the spirit for these moments, asking it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I read that uh, verse 14, it was, in a, it was in a whole other train of thought, and yet that's really what it is. Uh, 
the more that we're able to learn to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously, the stronger we become. The less power, shall we say, that the enemy, Satan, which we've talked in the last couple of weeks about, he's a formidable enemy. He brings a game. He's tough. We certainly individually cannot take him on. We can't even see him. Fortunately, he is a created being. He's not someone that is the opposite of God. I'll often ask that question and say, what is the opposite of God? And we almost, without thinking, say, Satan, no, there is no opposite to God. Uh, Satan is created. He is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not sovereign. Thankfully. And the war has literally, ultimately been won, but we're still in a war. We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks as well. We are not only in a battle, we are in a war. A very serious one. But as I was thinking about Ephesians chapter 6 and where to put on the whole armor of God, I, was, I, I didn't have enough time to do my... I was going to come in here with about... So that you wouldn't even recognize me. I was going to put on all kinds of coats and clothes and I'd finish it off with that. In North Dakota, we had those furry... Have you ever seen those that they've got like the hood that you can't even really see out of it? Some of you are nodding. If you go up in cold country, that's common. That's at every store, actually, in case you are without one. I was going to put all those things on. I was going to come in here and kind of waddle in here. And I was going to say, put on the whole armor of God. How could you? You've got all this stuff, right? You wouldn't fit. And that's really what this passage is about. There's three things we want to talk about today, and that is wake up, put off, and put on. And you can't put on until you throw off. Now, we try. Have you ever tried that? (laughs) Put some more stuff on? It doesn't work very well, does it? This passage is really very clear. Let's look at some others, though, that actually tie in well with the same thought, the same theme, if you will. Let's go to Colossians for a moment. Uh, We're going to be using our Bibles a fair bit today. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10. There's actually, I'm going to call it two phases in the sense of of putting off. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Actually, verse, verse 8, I'm sorry. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Now, you also put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created. Now, if you're watching your, uh, your grammar in verses 9 and 10, it would seem that it was past tense. You have put off the old man, and it says in verse 10, you have put on the new man. So are we talking about the same thing as we were in Romans chapter 13? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 as you're contemplating that question. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. (laughs) Ephesians 4.22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, that is the citizenship, you would say, of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, that be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let's go to one more, Galatians chapter 3, just turning back another book. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Paul writing to those that were literally being caught up in the sense of legalism. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now that's a dry verse. That is not a wet baptism. That is literally, you have been placed into, you've been identified with Christ. Now, all three of those passages actually are talking about the same thing, but it's different than Romans chapter 13. It's very different. In fact, in those three passages we just went to, it's talking about past tense. He's speaking to believers, those that have trusted Christ as Savior, and literally those things then from God's perspective as he looks on you Positionally, he sees you as having put those off because he sees the sacrificial gift and the blood of Jesus Christ when he looks at you. When Satan comes to accuse you, a little bit off subject, but when Satan comes to accuse you of a sin that you've done in the face of God, we find that in Revelation chapter 12. He's an accuser. 
Satan loves to accuse, particularly those that are, are saved. And Jesus Christ said, I paid for that. That's, that's been paid. That's paid in full. He accepted me as his Savior. And the same with you. Positionally then, really, the power has come within us. We are in Christ. That's what Ephesians is actually all about. So positionally, there's no question, and that term is called justification. You have been redeemed. You have been purchased out of the sin market. But in Romans chapter 13, it's different. And it would be, for instance, I'll see if I can get this to where it makes maybe another, a little bit of an analogy. But let's say, for instance, Paul, tomorrow was chosen to serve as a judge in district court. So Paul goes to the courthouse. I'm making this all up, so we may have to change it a little bit. But I think it'll fit. It'll work. So he goes to the courthouse, and he, he announces his arrival and says that I was, I'm supposed to fill in and be a judge today. Oh, really? Oh, well, very good. So will he become a judge by just putting on a robe, wearing that? Now, he may think so. <laughs> And the people that watch and see would maybe think so. But there's something that's very important. How does he respond as the judge wearing the robe? Does he live up to that expectation? Or really he's no judge at all. That's the same picture, quite honestly, that's being drawn to us by Paul. He says, from God's perspective, positionally, because you've trusted Christ as Savior... You are free from the penalty of sin. But now it's important for you to put off these things practically so you fit your life to what positionally it is. Do you see that? You see that? That's really, really important. Because to just look the part or sound the part isn't what Christ died for. He not only wants you to be free from the penalty of sin, he wants you to be free from the power of sin. There's a big difference. And that's why, literally, if you were going to try to put on the armor of God and you're still clinging to the sins of the flesh, the sins of the spirit, we could go to a passage that would say that, it won't fit. In fact, they literally won't even go together. There's no attraction. Now, the other thing is it even makes it more sinister or more difficult, if you think about this, The power that you've gotten when you accepted Christ is an internal strength. It lives within you. You are in Christ. And to hang on to these acts of sin, these deeds of sin that practically you need to get rid of. And then you put, try to put the armor of God on the top of that. It's no wonder you're heavy and you're hot and you can't move. How do you run a race? Anybody, any of the kids in track? Okay. So the first thing you probably do then, Sawyer, is when you get to the track meet, is you put on all the clothes you own. He's nodding. Oh, stop, son, stop. We got, this is why he's not winning. No, 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 I'm kidding. Thanks for playing. With, but, and then you go find some rocks because you want to be sure to get weighted down. And you'd probably wear your work boots, certainly your snow boots, as you're running around the track. And we all know that's ridiculous, right? Have you ever tried that? Now, if you do it in practice, you actually get stronger when you get rid of this stuff, right? But on the real meat, on the real race, you want to get rid of all of the stuff that is extra. All of the stuff that weighs you down. All of the things that slow you down so that you are the fastest, the best at the event that you're participating in. And Paul loved to use that as a picture in the scriptures. In fact, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. It actually pictures that for us. Hebrews chapter 12. And let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, the interesting part is of those of you that aren't familiar with Hebrews, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it talks about what we've come to know as the hall of faith. Those are Old Testament saints that literally, they trusted God and their lives were representative of it. They trusted God and... That's what he's talking about in chapter 12, verse 1. He said, Wherefore, or therefore, seeing we also were compassed or surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, which were described in chapter 11, 
let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the power of God. Now, again, I want to reiterate, if in Ephesians, I can't take all the time to go through chapters 1 through 6, obviously. But when you think about, as Paul unfolded, that same strength that literally Jesus Christ was risen from the dead and sits at the right hand of God, that same power lives within you if you've trusted Christ. It's unimaginable the power that you have living within you. But with that power, it's important that we take action, that we take very serious contemplation. <coughs> now, the other thing I was going to have as a prop, this, the, the, as I walked to the front, waddling to the front, and you guys would start laughing probably, what are you doing? What is your plan? And I would act like I didn't know anything was wrong. Because sometimes it's interesting as we live life in that status, we sometimes get so used to what we feel like or what we think we look like. But the best thing you could do then, and you could tell me, well, Larry, you got a lot of stuff on. What are you doing? And I'd say, what stuff? I mean, I'm nothing wrong here. But if one of you pulled out a big mirror and set it in front of me, if you notice mirrors do not lie, at least most of them don't. I've been at places that they have, actually. They've got that warped look. Okay, forget about those. Forget about those. I'm talking the real, the one that you got in your bathroom, the one you maybe have in the hallway. They don't lie. Oh, it's warped. I can, get rid of it. Get rid of it if you know it's warped. We're talking about a good one. We're talking one that the image is, and you know what I'd have to say? I said, Larry, what are, you, what are you doing? What do you have, what do you have all that stuff on for? See, now, see, the mirror I can trust. I can trust that mirror. That's just like the Word of God. See, that's how we're able to set aside these things that weight us down, that are bulking us up, so to speak. And when we obey the Word of God, in the power of God, in the power of Christ, we can start to shed some of those clothes. That mirror is for our good to see the condition which we're in. And that does a great job. Uh, someone said this morning, I was listening to someone on television, that you know, before someone gets saved, they have to know they're lost. That's absolutely true. In America today, it's hard for people to know that they need a Savior because they don't think they're lost. We've had it really good for a really long time. And the Bible's good at both of those. <laughs> it tells us very clearly, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. The more we look at Jesus, the more we want to put off things. Let's look at the time of salvation. Let's look at a few more verses. Let's go to Romans, uh, Romans chapter 4. I'm sorry, we'll start in verse 3. Romans chapter 3, beginning of this letter, Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. You see, when you, at salvation, that is at justification, there's something that you got. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Now that's, you see, when you trust Christ, you get the gift of righteousness. Uh, chapter 4, just turn over a couple more pages, verses 4 and 5. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. When you trust Christ, when you believe him, and as opposed to trying to work at your own values, at your own, shall we say, your own attributes, then literally you can't receive grace. One more, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 17, speaks very loudly here of what happened. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, for if by one man's offense, that's Adam's, death reigned by one, that's where death came from. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift, there we have it again, the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 tells us this, For he hath made him, that's Jesus Christ, God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is a beautiful picture of what happens when you trust Christ as Savior. You're given, literally, the gift of righteousness. I want to show it in a little different vein now. Think of this. This is something that Jesus spoke of back in Matthew. Matthew chapter 22, and he speaks of someone coming to the wedding. Matthew chapter 22, verse 11. We'll start, it's talking about a wedding party, and I'm, I, I'm going, you guys can study your own this evening or whatever, from verse, 20, verse 1 of chapter 22 through verse 14, but we're going to dive in here. Verse 9, Matthew 22, now watch. Go you therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they could find, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man who had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, friend, or actually the word is fellow, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him in the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Do you know why he was rejected? Because he didn't have the garment of righteousness, which was provided. He came on his own merits. Very interesting. You see, God sees you as righteous in Christ Jesus. Positionally, you are righteous. But practically, we've talked about justification. We'll maybe write a few notes, a few things down here. Justification. Looks like the kids were into these. Huh, this is going to be maybe not so good today. Oh, here we go. We got stuff we haven't even used yet. Justification, that's really your salvation. That's when you trusted Christ. In that moment, you were given the gift of righteousness of Christ. And then starts a process. Sanctification. That's taking, as someone would have described, three steps forward. Oh, and then there's a couple steps back. And then you go three steps forward. It's kind of up and down. If you noticed, your life isn't exactly perfect all the time. Oh, some of you are working on that yet. Trust me, it's not perfect all the time. You seem shocked, Paul. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Sanctification. But you know what sanctification is? It's literally this. Working out practically what God has made you positionally. Stripping away those things that are of no value. Putting off those things that literally detract or take away from the strength that you have within you. Spiritual growth is becoming what you are practically. What God has given you positionally. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because this all is setting us up for the warfare that is surrounding us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And listen, this almost fits our passage just like locked on. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm saving it for a little bit later, but this will work fine. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. The last chapter is writing to to the Thessalonians. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief... In the night, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. (laughs) Almost mirrors Ephesians chapter 6 and actually Romans chapter 13, the first, verses 11 through 14. Now it's important as we turn back to Romans now, let's spend some time there in our text, Romans chapter 13. It's calling for us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That would literally be that sanctification, continually letting us, putting on Christ. And you'll see let us, it's speaking to believers, verse 13, let us walk honestly. But there's two sides of it. 
There's the side of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is positive. And then if you'll notice in verse 14 of chapter 13 on our text, Romans, it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. That word provision is an interesting one. Uh, Make not provision for the flesh. Make not provision for your humanness. What does that mean? If you're making provision, you're planning, you're preparing, you're thinking ahead, you're, and literally that's kind of sin, is it? Is it? Satan throws that, he's, he's a great fisherman, by the way. He knows how to bait a hook like nobody's business. Think of Garden of Eden. He shows up, there's Eve. She be right by the tree, right? He just reels her right in. How does he do it? You'll be as God. You're going to be pretty. You could be really, really important. And, you know, you cannot trust God. We talked about that. See, Satan really does. He wants you to be ignorant of God's will. He'll he'll deceive to do it. He will lie to you to produce a false acceptance of his truth. Look around our world today. How easy is it to find truth? It's nearly impossible. It really is. Um, From news to papers to any communication device. You know, when I read something, I say, is that true? I find myself saying that. The only thing I can pick up and I feel very, very confident in is the Bible. Now, I may not like it, but it's true. And see, I'd much rather have truth that I don't like than to have a lie that I may like that I don't know if it's true or not. See, and that's what we're, we're just inundated with that in our world today. Are we not? And without truth, we're in deep trouble. Our world is in deep trouble without truth. Don't plan. Don't use forethought. Don't pursue sin. Making no provision for the, of the flesh. The flesh, that's our humanness. If you will, the new man. Remember, if you've, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, something happened. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it tells us that literally you become a new creature. Brand new person in Christ. You can't tell on the outside, but on the inside, you're brand new. Brand new creation. But what we are on the outside is what needs to get worked on. Because if the outside doesn't fit what we are on the inside, there's not a lot of integrity going on, is there? That's what sanctification is all about. Making us on the outside what we've become on the inside. If you will, that new man is trapped or encased in your humanness. Uh, Romans chapter 7, that might be a good homework piece for you in this week. Uh, Paul, the apostle, is so honest with us. And you think he's he's almost like he, he can't ever fail, and yet he's so honest. He says... I'm so weak, and the things I want to do, I can't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, and that sounds so much like my life sometimes, doesn't it? So how do we deal with the flesh? How do we deal with humanness? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's look at a couple of verses there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's amazing how much humanness is around us, isn't it? And we can spot it in others pretty well, sometimes not so much in ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start in verse 25. 1 Corinthians 9.25, every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertain, uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest I by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. How did Paul deal with it? <laughs> Brutal honesty and just... He was literally beating his body into submission, and not not physically, but the point of the matter is he knew he was in a war, and he continued to work towards releasing the strength that he had. He put on Christ. We should look like Christ. We should look, what does Christ look like? How many of you look like Christ today? You don't need to raise your hands. Do you want to look like Christ? There's a better question. Sure we do. And if we don't, why not? Well, some of the questions might be, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, you know, we, if he ran for president of the United States in America, I don't think he'd have a chance. <laughs> what does that say? <laughs> and yet the only way you can 
the reason we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is so that we look like him, that we act like him. We think like him. Philippians chapter 2 talks about humility. What a great place for us to get in, slip into literally the, the picture, the image, the shoes that Jesus Christ walked across this earth for 33 years. For 33 years, he walked this earth showing us what he was all about. Those first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about all of those endeavors, those journeyings, those steps, those things that he was involved with. And all did it sinlessly. Now, don't get me wrong. Wouldn't it be nice to live sinless? That was the one part of salvation I would have loved. You get saved and you don't sin anymore. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I'm afraid probably we'd become a little bit prideful. Well, look at me. I'm not a sinner anymore. What would that do? You know, that's exa- including God. God hates pride. We looked at it last week. God resists the proud. We are to resist Satan and he will flee from us. God literally resists the proud. He hates it. He despises it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Your Bibles, your pages are probably getting warm. We're using it a lot today. But we want the scripture to speak and to teach us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, that wisdom literally will teach us about, did you see it? Righteousness, that's justification. Sanctification, which speaks for itself, and then redemption. That's one we hadn't talked about before. There's three phases to salvation, ultimately. There's justification, which is the moment that you trust Christ. And then that moves you into phase two, which is sanctification, that journey that goes from the day you've accepted Christ until the last second, the last breath that you take on earth. And then, glory be, glorification... You are then in the absence of sin. Justification is the lack of penalty of sin. Sanctification is the lack of power. Now, that's something that you appropriate. You have within you the very power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. You you need to think about that for a second. The power that is within you is the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Don't say there's not enough power to be overcoming sin. It's the same power. But glorification, that's when you enter into heaven. When you enter into that place where you literally see your Savior face to face. I can't actually wait for that. I don't know what that's going to feel like, but I know this much. It's not going to be have, there's not going to be any pride there at all. I'm going to be so broken by looking at my Savior who is wearing nail prints and scars in his feet from taking my sin on a cross. And he's there acting as my advocate today. And he saved me. To fall at his feet... What a day that will be. But there's no presence of sin. So the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the the presence of sin were all conquered through Jesus Christ. We've already looked at Colossians. I'd like to go to 1 John for a moment. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. 1 John, as you can tell, all of the New Testament speaks with so much clarity on this subject. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. This is, this, is, this is the rubber meeting the road. John was that way. He said in verse 6, chapter 2, He that saith, he abideth in him. In other words, you say that you're in Christ. He ought also then to walk or live even as he walked. That's what this is all about. When you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you look, you resemble Christ. How do we do that? How do, we, how do, you, how do you do that? I mean, is, is there, what, what do you do? Turn on the TV? Is it on the TV? Is it on the radio? Well, where do we find it? People Magazine. People Magazine. That's the place. Has <laughs> Jesus been on the cover lately? <laughs> you know, if Jesus was walking here, I suspect, Bill, that he wouldn't make the cover of People. No, probably, not. probably not. So where do we go? The Bible. Bible. The Bible. Yeah. What's in the Bible? Truth. Truth that speaks about Jesus. Jesus. That's right. Who he is and who we are. Let's take, yeah, and that's important to see the difference, obviously. Because, again, the, the Bible is showing us who we are. And we have to be lost before we can be saved. 
Let's take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians. I don't know where I left you, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. This is coming. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we concentrate on Jesus Christ, when we're looking to Him, when we're looking at him, when we're looking at his life, when we see how he reacted in various situations, and the Gospels are full of situations of him showing us what he's like, how he lived. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. I love the word walking, and, and he uses those analogies. that It's living, it's participating, it's obeying. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, it says this, Galatians 5 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you obey the Spirit, we've talked about it in the last number of weeks, that literally God's blessings are within the circle of obedience. That's where God's blessings come. His protection also is in the circle or the roadway of obedience as well. We know that Christ was completely, totally dedicated to the Father. Uh, now, I'm telling you what, if you, just now, again, you're at the expectations of you meeting Christ as, as far as perfection, that's, that's not what it's about. But you'll see integrity, you'll see attributes that define who he was that we literally should be interested in having in, in, on ourselves. And you think about this, the night he's betrayed, he knows he's going to be betrayed before it happens. And for him to be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he literally cries out before his father, which they had been, I mean, you can't make the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost any closer than they were, because they are three in one. And on that night, he literally is so distressed that he's perspiring drops of blood. Oh, Father, if you could take this cup from me, but not your will, but, I mean, sir, not my will, but thine. I'm so glad that he was that way. He was fully dedicated to God's plan. He was in. He was not conformed to, be, to the world either. Those three commands that we were given to wake up, there's an urgency. It's no time for complacency. Now, right now, right now. And if you, and there's actually two thoughts that one is to be saved. Don't fool around. Don't wait. But then there's a point of when you've trusted Christ, it's, well, let's go back to Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. It says, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. It's like, uh, I, I like it when I see that it's just like, it's like 5 a.m., 5.30, right in that neighborhood. And it's, you know what? It's time to get ready to get going. Now you say, wait, I don't like 5 a.m., <laughs> <laughs> there's sometimes I don't either but you know what it doesn't matter what is it? and why he even tells us why let's let's keep going here in this verse uh, Romans chapter 13 we know the time that it's high time to wake out of sleep it's time to wake up for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe what is he talking about well, when you believe, when you trusted Christ, again, you, you were part of justification and you were positionally made perfect before God. You were saved. You have a, your name is written in the book of life. You have a destination. You're going there. But what's he saying? There's the next period of time, the next thing, the next calendar event that we have if you go through all of eschatology is the fact that the rapture, the catching away of the church. And think when that was written, and we're 2,000 years closer to that than we were. Now, I'm not here to set dates. That's ridiculous. But the point of the matter is, it's, if it was time to wake up then, it's really time to wake up now. Amen. As you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, you'll see that really God is outside of time. He created time. In the beginning <clears throat> was the word in John 1.1. 1, 1. And it says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created I mean, you know, it's, and he was before that in the beginning of time. All of time means nothing to God. 
But think how much closer we must be. And when you look at our lives, it's just literally a blip. We've talked about this before, but if you go to a, if you go to a, to a graveyard and you look at a tombstone, you'll have on there the year born and the year died. And literally that whole life is designated by just a dash. And in eternity, it's not even that. God is moving along. It's time to be up and at him. It's urgent to wake up, seeing what we're into. As time is near. Verse 12, the same passage says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. It's amazing to me sometimes, and this would this be, well, it's too dark. Now, in my 20s and 30s, I don't really know where I found that energy. I don't know where it was at. Somewhere there was a hidden cache of energy that I always seemed to have. And I'm here to tell you at 59, I can't find it anymore. <laughs> I've lost it. I got to work at it, right? And now it's like, you know, I would, well, it didn't mean any, if I was awake, I've got to go. Let's go. Let's get, get going. Now it's not quite that way. And really at 5 o'clock, I know that the dawn's coming, so, and it's amazing how quick the light comes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You older people like me, right? <laughs> okay. And, and I was, I, it was just 5 o'clock, and now it's, it's light out. I need to get going, right? You know what? That's almost the same thing. And the longer we linger in getting urgent about getting fired up about doing what God wants us to do, it's amazing how much time actually elapses. Today is a good time to start. It's amazing in procrastination, which I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> it's, and procrastination never starts today. There's a someday, right? Someday I'll have to do that. Today is the beginning of someday. <laughs> it's urgent that we wake up. Yes. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses one through 12. There is, I'll tell you what, it's uh, verse four, particularly chapter four, verse four. This is really what's happening from this spiritual warfare in whom the God of this world, that would be whom? That's Satan. He hath blinded the minds of them, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God should shine upon them. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's happening all around us. That's why there's no time to put off. The time is now. Um, and, I, and I find myself as well, and this question continues to revolve around. And the further we go down this trail, getting further away from truth. And I have to say, every year that we go, every month almost, we get further away from truth as a society. I, I don't think there's any kidding about that. That is absolutely true that that's what's taking place. And we find ourselves, those that, of us that care about truth, what can I do? What can one person do? I mean, you just find yourself asking that, right? And it is. It's one day at a time, and you act with, what are we, what are we told to do? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you make the difference. You can't take the whole world on. Don't even try. I mean, see, that's another thing. Uh, you know, like, how do you eat an elephant? I mean, you look at the elephant, and you say, I can't handle well, Of course you can't. That's not one mouthful. That's one mouthful at a time. See, and that's how, that's really sometimes Satan will overpower us with discouragement because we see this project, this thing that's just so gigantic, so overwhelming. And how are you going to fix America? It's depressing. How are we going to fix America? You fix it one step with Jesus at a time. And when there's others with us running lockstep, and when you put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you put off these items that detract from Christ-likeness, it all works together. That's why he says it that way. He didn't tell you to put on and tell you to put off. That's our second point. And purity is illustrated. Verse 12, again, let's continue. Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore, because of that, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The armor of light throwing off 
how do you throw things off, lay aside? There's a part of repentance in there as well. There's the sense of cleansing and dumping your sin, taking responsibility for it. Let's go to a Psalm 109:18. It, it shows us an example, a Psalm 109, verse 18. It's kind of insightful. Psalm 109, in verse 18. <clears throat> you see the same imagery in the Old Testament that Paul used. Psalm 109, verse 18, it says, As he clothed himself with cursing, like as with his garments, so let it come into his bowels like water and like oil into his bones. And let it be unto him as the garment which covereth him, and for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. There's a sense of it's the very same thing. As, as he puts that on, it becomes part of who he is. We need to let loose. We need to get rid of that. Get rid of that weight as we read in Hebrews chapter 12. There's no room for Christ if we have these things weighting us down. That word darkness, let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, he talks about God in regards to darkness and light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sins. That's exactly what we're talking about. When we walk in the darkness, then it certainly would show that we haven't put off or thrown off that acts or sins of the flesh. Let's take a look at what he's telling us in verse 13 to put off. Back in Romans chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Let us walk honestly as in the day. I think that's first and foremost. We need to be honest with ourselves. Not in rioting and drunkenness. That would be the idea. If you were actually to go to Galatians chapter 5, you would find uh, a sense of wild partying or drunkenness. That has no place in putting on Jesus Christ. He also goes on to say, not in chambering and wantonness. That would be a sense of immorality and shamelessness, that sense of wantonness. It's described as lasciviousness in Galatians chapter 5. And then it says strife and envying. There's a lot of that going on today. Contention, fighting, an egomania. Evil desires, jealousies, all of those things, literally. And see, when they're clinging, when they're hanging on to us, and we then try to put Jesus Christ over the top, it's an incredible itching sensation, isn't it? Right? They don't go together. I remember one time we, we had a, it wasn't a grain, but it was one of those Curvet Quonset things, and, uh, and they were, there was an auger, and we're putting oats in. By the way, those of you that are not farm kids, oats and barley are the most itchy things known to man. Okay, there's nothing worse. So this auger is at the top, and we're you know we're we're launching this. It's probably 20, 25 feet, and the dust is incredible, right? And for whatever reason, we hadn't quite finished putting all the bolts in. So my dad says, "Not a problem. It's you know it'll be back there. So if you just go inside." And hold the nuts because they had the square. Remember, did anybody build these things? It was a punishment. It was it was punishing because you had these square nuts, and of course they never fit quite right, and they were in behind corners that you couldn't. You, you know where I'm going, right? Okay. And Dad's on the outside with the electric impact. Larry's on the inside, <laughs> putting the nuts on and holding. And this grain dust is just—I couldn't hardly stand it. It was overpowering. <laughs> I just. Dad, I'm out. <laughs> it was just, it was overpowering. But I want you to know this. When we tried to put together those sins of the flesh, those humanness, and put over the top of that Jesus Christ, you can't do it. It's impossible. It'll drive you crazy. You have to put off before you can put on. In practicality. Now, God does it from the inside. He cleanses your heart. He takes care of what you're short in the sense of power. But it's our up to us to literally, with that power, put off 
envy, envyings and jealousies and strife and lasciviousness and all of those things that literally detracting when we focus on Jesus Christ, we see him for who he is. And then we're going to put on, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Putting on that armor of light, integrity, honesty, walking is the sense of conduct. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3 for a moment. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, this is 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are, we are, now are we the sons of God. Whoa, let that sink in for a second. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. One of the things that makes it even easier for you to purify, that is to put things off and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, is to see him coming, to see him coming for us. That should really literally put us in the right frame of mind to purify us, to cleanse us, and to be in the right frame of mind to put him on. To think of we will be like him. Those of you that have trusted Christ as Savior, one day you will have a resurrected body. Doesn't get old. Doesn't hurt. I actually think you can eat ice cream. And there's no calories in it. But I can't miss the intimacy of that verse literally asking us, to consider all that he's done for us. That's the perfect picture for us to respond in putting off and putting on. That armor of light is a picture of where we're going to go next. And that is piece by piece, putting on the armor, the whole armor of God. You see, he supplied it. It wasn't like we had to go find it. You've probably watched some of those stories where they need to go find these different pieces, these treasure hunts to find something so they could... No, the really cool thing is, is God gave it to you. All you have to do is appropriate it. Look in his word, get acquainted with him, study Jesus at every phase. Pray to him. One of the things, again, which I mentioned last week, which I find incredibly powering is, for instance, this gathering here today, we took time to pray for others. And when we cohesively pray for one another. It's amazing the power that that gives. I yearn for your prayers. I love to pray for you guys. There's sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I think there's actually a purpose in it anymore. I don't know why I wake up at two to three. I don't know what it is. But now I use it and say that's a good time to pray. And when you guys move to different places in here, that messes me up. But if you stay in your right row, no, I'm not, you can move around. But I, in my head, see, I'm, I'm that visual guy, right? And I know where you sit, Paul. I pray for you. You're on the front row, and you guys are front row people, right? But I remember you guys, right? But that's a great thing for us to do for one another, lifting each other up in prayer. There is so much power in that. And you know what prayer does? It drives us to the Word. That's what Daniel, that was the secret of Daniel's life, quite honestly. When he was in the word, it drove him to his knees. And the more he was on his knees, the more it drove him to the word. And the more you do that, guess what? You'll put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you fill your mind, the more you fill all of that incoming information about Jesus and how he lived and how he walked, how he talked, how he responded, that's how you put him on when you concentrate on him. You have, you have a focus, you have Jesus Christ in your viewfinder at all times. And you say, that's really hard. You know what? That's how Satan wants it. That's part of his deception. That's part of his strategies is to overpower you with, for instance, we talked about deception. But there's another one, and that is to literally to overpower your will so that it becomes you being independent of God's will. That's his, that's his, that is absolutely his main desire is that you act just like he did. And he won attack independently of God. When we do that, 
Jesus is the last thing in our mind. And when he's the last thing in our mind, then that other stuff just grows and it clings and it hangs on. And then you, it's like running track. Or how, about you, how would you like to try to do pole vaulting with weighing 300 pounds of extra stuff? You'd break the pole vault, right? Stupid stick. That's what we'd say, right? It's always somebody else's fault. That's when we're not looking in the eyes of Jesus. There's a lot to say, doesn't he? So I don't know if this is where we're supposed to... I'm trusting that this is where we're supposed to go because we've got to get ready to get rid of stuff before you can put on the armor because I don't think it would fit. See, that was the other thing. I was going to come in with this little belt, right? I've got this, all this stuff and it come halfway around. That's why the armor doesn't fit because we get too much other junk on, right? In my own life, i got junk that i got to continually get rid of. There's attitudes. There's desires. There's things that are going on in my life that i got to get rid of. And you know the best way to see it? A mirror. Sometimes when people tell me, Larry, you should get rid of Who are you to say that, right? Isn't that a response? It's, it's, a, it's almost immediate. You can, you can just, well, let's talk about you. you know, that's how we're made, isn't it? That's the humanness side. But when the mirror, which is the word of God, talks about that directly, you know it's true. Boom, right between the eyes. And I want to shed it. I want to get rid of it. I want to be like Jesus. That's the key. That's the key for all of us, especially in this day in which we find ourselves. Jesus has never looked brighter. You take a diamond, you don't put it on a white background, you put a diamond on a black velvet background because it makes the diamond brighter. Today, if you're really walking and talking with integrity and honesty, and you've put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will stick out. Because our world isn't ready for that. But it wants it. There are people today that are yearning and they, they really need everything that Jesus Christ is offering. They'll look everywhere else. But you, is, you are how God works his system. That's why it's important that we practically live up to the fact of what he saved us from. Don't just be satisfied with being, having broken the penalty of sin. Allow him to break the power of your sin. He's there. You've got more power than you can even imagine. And ultimately, one day, that's the day I'm looking for where the presence of sin will be completely vanquished and gone forever. That's a fantastic day. That day is fantastic. Make sure to depend on him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your loving kindness to us. Your overwhelming protection and power, which are ours. Father, help us to obey your word the strength that you've given to us internally, literally the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That happened because Jesus Christ lived, died, was buried, and rose again. As he spoke to his disciples, he said, I must go so that the Comforter may come. And at that day of Pentecost, from that moment forward to today, everyone that's trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within And how we give the Holy Spirit more power is by consuming the Word of God. Father, may we read your Word more. May we take it to heart. May we put off those things that are clearly described for us as being bad for us, that are evil, that are giving Satan a beachhead. When pride enters our life, Father, that's another beachhead that Satan is able to work from. Help us to pry those things out of the very deepest crevices of our heart. Father, there are closets that we may not have opened, and we have things in there that need to be cleaned out. We invite you in, Father, to look around the mirror of the Word of God to do its work. And Father, may we put on the Lord Jesus Christ today and every day, post-haste. Father, I thank you for those that have gathered here today, and you know their life's journeys. You know their most difficult problems. You know their issues that they continually wrestle with. No one knows them better than you. In fact, you know their hearts better than they themselves. You care about them. You've loved them. You've shown that by sending Christ to die for their sins. Father, I'd ask that you would wrap your arms around them, give them the strength 
the wisdom, the provisions and protection that's necessary for them to take the course, the path, the journey that you struck out before them. And Father, they would look to you for guidance and direction. Thank you for your word and how concise and perfect it really is. Surround us with your love as we go about your business, your way, for your will. We thank you, we praise you, and we'll ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior and Lord. Amen.